our scripture today is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the Valley of Jericho, the City of Palms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his officials, and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. We're coming to the end of our teaching series on the enemies of gratitude. And we've been jumping around the Bible from uh, Exodus to Deuteronomy, uh, to Philippians, to Matthew, and now we're back in Deuteronomy whilst we've been sticking with our lectionary reading plan. And there are many enemies of gratitude. But the ones that we've identified over the past few weeks include nostalgia, which is an unrealistic view of the past, amnesia, forgetting what God has done in the past, worrying about the future, and boundarylessness in the present. So you can see that our present gratitude is being challenged on three fronts, the past, the present, and the future, which is why it's so important to protect your gratitude at all costs. If you're not careful, then the regrets and the longings of the past or the concerns of the present or the worries of the future can erode it away until it is just a nub of its former self. So your gratitude needs to be protected and it needs to be fed. And the best way to, to protect it and to feed it and to feed it is to practice it, to exercise it, to take your gratitude out for a walk every now and again. Now for me, I practice my, my gratitude through praying, through walking, through community, through journaling, through verbalizing my gratitude, and through my tithes and offerings. These intentional 
spiritual disciplines of feeding my gratitude serve to protect it against these enemies of nostalgia, amnesia, worry, and lack of boundaries. And it also helps to, pr- to prepare us for perhaps the greatest enemy of gratitude, which is loss. The greatest threat to your life of gratitude takes place when you lose something or usually someone that you love. And our passage that Stacy read to us this morning deals with loss, specifically how the children of Israel dealt with loss, how they lived through loss. And as I've mentioned earlier in this service, there is a fair number of you who are dealing with loss right now, who are walking through or have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I'm not a grief counselor, but I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death with many people during my time as pastor here at Cornerstone and as personnel manager on the Logos Hope ship. Wendy lost her brother to uh, suicide, and I've lost family members, as, as many of us have. In fact, over the past few weeks, every which way I look, it seems to be that we are being confronted with death, with loss, with sadness. In our community, we've lost loved ones you know, to cancer, to medical conditions, to uh, drug addiction, to old age. But sometimes... Loss isn't just about losing someone to um, our final enemy, the enemy of death. Sometimes loss is also the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, the loss of innocence, the loss of joy, the loss of opportunity, the loss of financial security. So like I said, I'm not a grief counsellor, but I do want to draw some observations from our passage this morning that I hope will encourage each of us, myself included, by helping us to protect our gratitude in the midst of loss. So my first observation from the passage is that loss comes um, very unexpectedly. There we are. Loss comes unexpectedly. Verse 7 says this, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Maybe you think, well, that's not so unexpected. But then, it, it, but then we read on. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. So it was unexpected. And, you know, death is the one thing that we should all experience that we should all, sorry, not experience, that we should all expect that we will all experience. The only exception to that is if we are alive when Jesus returns. That's the only exception. And so death is the one thing that we should all expect, yet it comes as a shock. It comes as a slap in the face of our soul for which we are not ready. Even for those of us who've had loved ones die after long suffering, That moment when they're no longer accessible to us is as harsh as a rip or a tear. Listen to this liturgy from a man named named Douglas McElvey. He says this, How can I or anyone make sense of this? 
make peace with this, have words for this. We are reeling in a fog world of the suddenly surreal. How are we to feel these things yet live, yet still live daily lives amidst yeah, the disarray? How can we, when we are pressed and taxed by the epic task of merely drawing breath in this moment, let alone the next? And later in the same liturgy, we read this. I cannot yet know what it will mean to live daily with the wounds of this loss. I cannot yet know what to do or where to go. Only do not let me go through this alone, O God. He says, carry me. He says, carry all of us who grieve. And then carry us across this first cataract of shock and sorrow. He says, carry us through this hour, then carry us through the next, and then the next, and the next. So as you've been listening to this, as you've been reading this, as you've heard the scripture read to you, as you are processing this through your current life experiences, I want to allow us a bit of time to respond, a quiet pause to be present in this moment as we come alongside our grief, our loss that comes so unexpectedly. And if you are not in the season of grief, then I invite you to be present, you know, to God in the quiet, in the silence, and maybe to pray for someone you know that may be feeling the sharp edge of this grief right now. And if you're not sure what to say, then you might want to use this short phrase as a meditation or a breath prayer. And all it simply says is, being, is be near, O Jesus. So let's take 90 seconds of, of silence as we m- meditate on what the Lord might be saying to us. sin and fears, when sins and fear prevailing rise, and fainting hope almost expires, to thee, O Lord, I lift my eyes, to thee I breathe my soul's desires. 
Art thou not mine, my living Lord, and can my hope, my comfort die? Tis fixed on thine almighty word, that word which built the earth and sky. Loss is unexpected, and loss is also a part of life. Verse 8 says this, The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Loss is a part of life. I look at the passage and what you have here is you have an entire people group who are weeping for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. And I'm assuming that this 30 days was perhaps a prescribed time in which to mourn. But what we're seeing is a community in grief. However, I don't think that this passage means that this nation of millions was literally weeping 24-7 for 30 days. No, I can't change the baby's diaper because I'm weeping. No, I can't prepare meals because I'm weeping. No, I can't sweep out the tent because I'm weeping. The truth is that loss takes place within the daily and the weekly rhythms of life. So in spite of the leadenness of our hearts, we get up out of bed. And in spite of the weariness that we feel, we make our breakfast. We get the kids on the bus. During those 30 days, there was a combination of mourning and productivity of death and life. And I see this reality over and over again when I walk with a person or a family through loss. There is that sharp edge of grief that sometimes can make you wonder if you can even take the next step. And at the same time, there are phone calls to make. There's the, you know, the funeral home that you have to contact. There is the social media post that you have to share. There's the family to gather or the flights that you have to book because they're last minute. They're very expensive. There are the flowers to arrange. There's the pastor to ring, the vacation to cancel, the eulogy to write, the obituary to write. And then you add into that the will and the house and the belongings and the legal realities and the death certificate, the insurance. And then throw on top of that the laundry and the groceries and the school run. Acts 2, Acts 8 verse 2 says this. It says, devout men... They buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, put them in prison. Do you see the context in which the mourning takes place for the early church in this passage? They experienced this loss of an honored man of God while the existence of their very church was being threatened, being ravaged. Now, I'm not saying that we all experience this level of malevolent suffering whilst going through loss, but absolutely our loss unfolds as life happens. Sometimes we would like to take a sabbatical for grief, a few weeks off from all responsibilities, but the laundry still needs folding and the meal still needs to be cooked and the baby still needs changing. It's like you're trying to do more, but without that person's presence on whom you relied so heavily, especially if that person is close to you like a spouse or a parent, and it can feel impossible. 
And this is why in seasons like this, it's so important that you are kind to yourself. That you are kind to yourself. To recognize that you are not infinite, that you are a finite created being. And in that state of being a finite created being, that you're honest with the infinite uncreated one to actually take the risk of telling God how you feel in these times and not sugarcoating it. Look and see how David handled the loss of his infant son in 1 Samuel chapter 12. It says, when David saw his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. Then David got up from the ground, he washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house and worshipped. Then he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food and he ate. His servants asked him, why have you done this? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept. But when he died, you got up and ate food. He answered, while the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? He asks, can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will never return to me. Now, please don't read this passage as a prescription on how to suffer loss. This is a way. This is the way that this specific man opted for. We don't know how maybe Bathsheba handled it or the others in the family. We each deal with loss in our own ways. And John chapter 11 actually gives us an insight into how Jesus encountered the loss of his close friend Lazarus. John eleven thirty three. when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. Where have you put him? He asked, Lord, they told him. They said, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying. And I know that many of us have asked the very same question. But you see here the different responses. Mary cried. Jesus was deeply moved and he wanted to see the body. Jesus wept. Some were inspired by his love for Lazarus, while others blamed him for not doing more. So let's take a couple of minutes now where you, are, where you have the freedom to quietly contemplate this reality that loss is a part of life. That loss and grief often take place in the middle of lives that are already full and only become fuller as we come to terms with the loss that we've experienced. Again, this might be the loss of a loved one, the loss of an opportunity, the loss of maybe innocence, the loss of a career, the loss of hope or security, you know the loss that you are dealing with. And so I invite you to sit in silence or you can have a whispered prayer with Jesus. He's listening. You can say anything you want or if you don't know what to say, then you might want to simply repeat this phrase. Let me know your peace, O God, and allow him to meet you where you are. 
let's have a uh, moment of silence. are the king of my collapse. You answer not what I demand, but what I do not even know how to ask. Now, now take this dream, this husk, this chaff of my desire, and give it back reformed and remade according to your better vision. Or do not give it back at all, here in the ruins of my wrecked expectations, let me make this best confession. Not my dreams, O oh Lord, not my dreams, but yours be done. Loss comes unexpectedly. Loss is a part of life. But loss does not stop God's purposes. Verse 9, Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded, had commanded Moses. It may have felt like it was the end for the people of Israel, but God's presence with them did not end with the death of Moses. God had a future planned for the people. He had a man in the wings, and this man's name was Joshua. And some of you need to hear this this morning, that God's purposes did not end with the loss of your loved one. God's purposes did not end with the loss of your dream or your job or your innocence. God did not stop being God. God did not cease being there for you. And so we look at Joshua and we see that he was filled with the spirit of wisdom he wasn't some bargain bin substitute for Moses. He was filled with the spirit of wisdom. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the man that God had set aside and prepared. And in fact, it was Joshua who led the children of Israel into the promised land. Not Moses. 
Moses could look into the promised land before he died, but Joshua led them in. And so we read in verse 9 that so the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. They expressed their trust in God by obeying Joshua as they had obeyed Moses. They knew that even though Moses was gone, God was not. Let's pray. Lord, in loss, in moments of loss, seasons of loss, it can feel like loss is all that there is. The lack, the vacancy, the hole, yeah, the antimatter. It can feel like down is up and up is down. That we are like anchorless boats. It can feel like we've skated off the ice and are still trying to skate on the asphalt. In this time of uncertainty and ambiguity where nothing is what it seems, where everything seems upside down and there is very little solid ground to stand on, we affirm that you are our solid ground that your purposes do not stop with the loss that we feel. We believe in a gospel that proclaims life after death. And so let's take a minute of silence to reaffirm our hope in Christ. Again, use your own words. You can sit in silence or you might simply want to whisper to Jesus, I trust you to lead me. Let's have a minute with our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. my uh, final point from the text and I don't know if I'm ending on a downer or not is this that things are will will never be the same and that's okay we're told in verse 9 that uh, Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him so the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded him but then verse 10 says this No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, all his officials, and to all the land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Yes, Joshua was the man for the future, but he wasn't Moses 2.0. He wasn't a second Moses. Moses was one of a kind. There was no prophet like him. He knew God face to face. He was unparalleled. Moses was irreplaceable. 
And part of finding gratitude in spite of loss is coming to terms with the reality that things are never going to be the same again. Whether you've lost someone or you're in the process of losing someone, things are going to never be the same again. Now, not worse necessarily. Now, for a time, they will feel worse. For a time, life will feel like you're walking through water or you're running on sand. Every step is exhaustion. You will feel that exhaustion, that weariness, like life is an uphill battle. But there is a future. There is a a Joshua after Moses, and yet things will never be the same again. You cannot put the toothpaste back into the tube. You cannot unbreak the shattered glass of milk. You cannot unturn the corner. All that you can do is to keep going. And maybe part of experiencing gratitude again, of defeating this enemy of loss, is accepting that loss, of accepting that things are never going to be the same again, and that's okay. As we close up our time together this morning, and then we'll go into our last song. Let me leave you with some scriptures for you to meditate on. As you listen to them or read them on the screen, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Genesis twenty-four sixty-seven, And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and took Rebekah to be his wife. Isaac loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. Let's just sit with that verse for a few seconds. Corinthians 1 3 to 4 says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort he comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort that we ourselves receive from from God let's sit in that and just listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. James 1.27 says this, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is God saying to you through this? Let's listen.
finally, Romans 12, 15 to 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. And again, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. One more time. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Let's just let the Lord speak to us through that for a few seconds.